0: Well, Brent is gay, and Kalen's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's
1: Homo Superior. Welcome to Homo Superior's Creator Crush series. I'm Kaelin Bhatia, along with me is Adam Kasaryamin, whose opinion is never correct. It may not be correct, but it's always right. Well, Creator (laughs) Crush is an interview series where we chat with our favorite comic book creators, learning more about their work, their thoughts in the industry, and what makes them so darn special. Today, we're joined by the incredibly talented Charlie Jane Anders, who created some of our favorite new additions to the ever-growing X-Men mythos. She's also an accomplished author, having recently completed the Young Adult Science Fiction series, The Unstoppable Trilogy. And this is a homosphere first. She's the co-host of the charming, witty, and, and informative podcast, Our Opinions Are Correct. Charlie Jane, thanks so much for taking time to chat with us today.
2: Thanks for having me. It's so awesome to be here. Um, I love your podcast. It's so great to get to chat with y'all.
1: Thanks so much.
0: Um, Well, we also love your podcast, so we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, But before we kind of dive into our general segments, obviously, you know, we're huge X nerds. That's why we have our podcast. Morgan and Escapade are two of our new favorites. Uh, we've really been following them so excited to talk more about them and I did want to say speaking you know as a would be writer and that I legitimately need to start writing more, I think it's so much fun to be talking to someone like you that has really done so much and has really a prolific career in a lot of different areas so uh, that's what we're gonna try to hit on everything will mainly focus on our on our X side, um, but before we do all that I do want to know you know we always ask what's your secret origin, how did you really get into this line of work and this kind of creative outlets.
2: Yeah, I mean, my secret origin kind of starts when I was a little kid in elementary school and I had a really severe learning disability. I've talked about this a bunch, but uh, I had a really hard time doing basic schoolwork and I had this one, um, you know, special education teacher um, who I'm still friends with uh, who uh, worked with me a lot and part of what she did was she got me to use my creativity and my kind of, I would just get lost in daydreaming and making up stories in my head and she kind of put that into my, used that to motivate me to do better at school. And, you know, as a reward for doing well at school, she got me to do creative projects on the side. Like I, I wrote a stage play, Uh, and we got it performed in like second grade or something and like just stuff like that. And so that was really what started me down this path. And I always knew I wanted to be a creative writer, like in high school, my friends and I would just make up weird stories on a computer, like an online bulletin board. We would just like go in and try to like mess up whatever anybody else had just done in the story and take it in the weirdest direction we could think of, which got weirder and weirder because we were bored teenagers and, uh, you know, um, I worked in journalism for a long time uh, in my like 20s and but I always was trying to break in as a fiction writer and it took me a long time to break in as a fiction writer but I eventually did and um, you know started writing a lot I wrote a lot of short stories and I I wrote a novel back in like the 2000s which won a Lambda Literary Award actually oh, wow. and um, yeah it was like my first novel and um then, you know, finally, it's really the last seven or eight years, the last seven years, I'm going to say that I've finally kind of like emerged, like, you know, like the Phoenix or whatever, like the (laughs) Phoenix force. I don't know. Um, And have started to like, actually be kind of known as a creative writer for a long time. Mm. It was just a thing that I did that I thought was kind of my, that I thought was like my career in some way, but, or that I thought was like what I was going to do with my life, but everybody Mm. else just was like, oh, you're a journalist, you're a, whatever, you're a blogger um and so you know it's it's been a long time and honestly my my real origin story as a creative writer is just just persistence and just kind of not giving up and just keeping going after like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rejections mm-hmm. like over and over and over again um you know it's just it's it's brutal but you just you just have to keep plugging
0: away See, Adam, you just got to keep at it. <laughs> well, I got to start. So <laughs> I was just, I got to get myself prepped up to receive, I think, that level of, re- of rejection. And I think, you know, I do want to call out, like, invest in education, invest in teachers. I'm so glad to hear about your story. Um, really, really incredible stuff of what could happen if people actually, like, think about and help support the students that are yeah. um, involved. Here, here.
1: Uh, so, following up on Adam's question, you know, maybe this is part two of your origin story. How'd you get approached by Marvel? Uh, you know, you jumped in to do New Mutants, which we're going to talk about, creating Escapade and Morgan and others. Uh, but uh, what's your what's your part two of your secret origin story there?
2: That was another kind of long process. That was like kind of, you know, partly it was it was persistence, but also just patience. It was like um, I got approached by an editor at Marvel, like. I want to say like seven years ago, six, seven years ago, I think it was like seven years ago. And, you know, to talk about me doing some writing for Marvel and we had, we had some meetings and we, I pitched some stuff and we went back and forth. And then that editor eventually ended up leaving, leaving the company without ever getting me to do any writing. And, you know, so it's like, okay, well, you know, sometimes things just don't work out. And then, you know, a few years ago like maybe three or four years ago i want to say it was probably like 2019 2018 um i got approached again by by wilson moss and at the, i think at the time sarah brunstad was working with him as his assistant i i hope if i'm i'm apologize if i'm getting that wrong but i basically met up with the two of them and they were very interested and they had no idea that i already had all this like Back and forth with another Marvel editor, um, and they were all like, "You, have, we need you to follow, fill out this paperwork." And I was like, "Oh, I already filled out all that paperwork long ago." Um But anyway, so yeah, and they, you know, and we had a lot of conversations, and you know, and the the topic of me creating a trans character for Marvel came up pretty early on, and I also just like spitballed ideas for some of the characters I love, like She Hulk, mm. um, and. You know and we just kind of went back and forth and i came up with some ideas for a trans character for marvel it was definitely before the pandemic so i'm going to say 2019 sometime maybe might even have been 2018. and um at the time she was going to be an inhuman because they were doing a lot with inhumans and they'd had a lot of success with ms marvel who had been Mm -hmm. launched as an inhuman and so they were like you know they wanted to originally we were going to kind of follow the i don't know if this is if i'm this is talking out of school but Hopefully, you know they won't send the sentinels after me. We were going to follow. Yeah, the we'll Marvel keep it. Don't worry, we'll keep it
0: quiet. We won't.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's not like this is going to be listened to by a ton of people. We were originally going to follow the <laughs> Ms Marvel playbook. It's hey, our joke. <laughs> yeah, we, anyway, we were originally going to follow the Miss Marvel playbook and have her kind of have take on the identity of a legacy hero. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, what's Justice doing? Maybe we could maybe we could create a trans character named Justice. And they were like, people are going to make jokes about her being a social justice warrior and like. Right. You know having justice be her name might be a little people that's gonna so there was a lot of that back and forth and then in the end that just ended up not happening and i was like okay again that was a cool thing and meanwhile i did some little things for marvel like i did a she-hulk thing for which again i love she-hulk and i any chance to write she-hulk i'm like yes mm-hmm. uh, any chance to read She-Hulk, she-hulk i get excited and i love like what willow wilson's doing with her right now no rainbow mm-hmm. Rowl. rainbow Rowl, sorry mm-hmm. uh it's rainbow Rowl, right um right, yeah. anyway yeah, anyway, but uh, I did a short She-Hulk comic for one of the tie-ins with the War of the Realms series. And that was really That's my high. first official thing for Marvel. And then I did a thing for Women of Marvel with Squirrel Girl, another one of my favorite characters, and like Black Widow, who I love. And it was just like, this is super fun. And then we kind of, Sarah, at this point, was an editor and kind of circled back around to the idea of me doing a, a, a trans character. And now, instead of an inhuman, she's a mutant. And instead of mm-hmm. a legacy character, like a... taking on the mantle of a legacy character, Mm -hmm. she got to have her own identity, which I was really happy about. And, uh, you know, it was just, I always feel like that's one of the things that I always say to people like, this is something that comes up a lot in Hollywood too, because you have things in Hollywood where you, you work really hard at something or you kind of have a million conversations and then it just Mm -hmm. doesn't pan out. And what I always say to my Hollywood friends is nothing is ever wasted Mm -hmm. except for me on a Friday night. but you know know, other than that you know things things come back around like i found that over and over again in my career that you put you put a lot of heart and soul into something and then you're like well that didn't work out and then a few years down the line it just comes back and you're like oh now it's happening and yeah and actually that that worked out
0: Well, yeah, that, it sounds like that persistent theme coming back again, which is just, you know, you got it all comes out in its own uh, certain way. And I think leading us greatly into our sort of segment one of expertise where we really hit on uh, Marvel comics, but in particular X-Men comics. And so we really want to get uh, in deep on Escapade and obviously Morgan and Hibbert. But for the uninitiated, please give our listeners an elevator pitch uh, for you know your new characters, Escapade and Morgan.
2: Yeah, so Escapade, a.k.a. Sheila Sexton, is what I like to call a naive trickster, meaning she's like someone who likes to play tricks. She's like a prankster. She's kind of a, a little bit of a chaotic neutral, chaotic good. She's chaotic good, I think. She's a chaotic good character who in, likes to kind of pull the rug out from under you, especially if she, you're somebody that she thinks is needs to be messed with. Like, mm-hmm. she really likes to, you know, steal from the rich. Um, and especially steal from like people who have fancy toys that she can then use in her next heist. She has a million gadgets, and when we first meet her, she's really not relying on her super her superpower at all, which is part of I wanted to, I thought that was an interesting thing of like someone who has this awesome superpower but who doesn't want to use it. Who is just mm. like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna rely on my wits. And she has all these cool gadgets that are like awesome. Like she has glitter that can confuse security cameras, and she has like, you know, all these fancy lockpick things and her best friend morgan who we'll get to in a moment is like a tech genius who can hack into stuff um but then she does have this awesome superpower which is also very trickstery where she can swap places with anybody and kind of trade circumstances and the way i kind of this was a power that i'd been thinking about for years like it was a power that one of the characters had in in one of the stories that i had thought about pitching to marvel like several years ago Mm. um and it's basically like it's a kind of a reality warping power. Like any attribute, any aspect of your situation, she can make hers for a short time, for like a few hours. So like in the voice, the pride issue where we're first introduced to her, the Marvel voices pride, 2022 issue where which is which her big intro we kind of find out that you know if she loses a fight she can flip it around so that she won the fight Mm -hmm. um and like she says in an issue of new mutants if you want a hot dog eating contest she can make (laughs) it so that she won a hot dog eating contest but she can also borrow someone's superpowers for a few hours leaving them without their superpowers which could get inconvenient and she can also um take on your role or your your situation so if you get her close enough to joe biden she can be president for like two or three hours <laughs> um but you know and then joe biden is just gonna be really confused because everybody's like oh the president's always been this trans girl named sheila sexton that makes sense <laughs> like people will just accept it that like yeah. they won't think they won't think she's joe biden they'll think that the president is sheila sexton
0: gotcha gotcha
2: but yeah. But um, the thing about it is, and this is really important, is that the more complicated or high concept the switch she's trying to do, the more likely it is to go wrong. And that's something that's really important because otherwise she's probably too powerful. And so... You know, I had a thing that I wrote into one issue of New Mutants, which I wasn't able to use, and I hope I get to use it someday, and I hope I can still use it after telling you about it. Uh, Probably it's fine, whatever. But I had a thing (laughs) where, like, she and the New Mutants are trying to get into a secret facility, and there's a guy who's, like, got a top security clearance, and they're like, okay, Escapade, take that guy's security clearance. Mm -hmm. And so she she gets close enough to him, and she concentrates, and instead of getting his security clearance, she gets all of his insecurities. And so she starts worrying about like, why doesn't my dog love me? And she's like, wait, I don't even have a dog. And like, oh my God, my marriage is failing. And like, oh God, I'm behind on my mortgage payments. And like, she's worried about all this guy's insecurities about like his height (laughs) or whatever. And then she has to kind of step out of it. But like, that's the kind of thing that like, if she tries to do anything too fancy or kind of uh, high level, that the likelihood of it backfiring or going wrong goes way, way, way up.
0: Mm-hmm. And before we, you
2: know, yeah. Yeah, because before we jump into
0: Morgan, I'm interested to know, because you said you had this power in your mind for a while, like what inspired that originally prior to even this character?
2: Oh man, I guess I just, I mean, I always think about like what would be interesting superpowers to have, because that's how my brain works and I'll be <laughs> in the shower and I'll just be thinking about like, oh, what if you could do, you know, and like I like superpowers that are kind of weird and quirky. Like like I see you got Madrox behind you. Like Madrox <laughs> yeah. is one whose power is super weird and quirky. And Peter David took it to such weird extremes where he could go get a law degree and go, you know, become a minister and do all this other stuff. Right. And like he could live like a whole bunch of lives at once, which was more than anybody had thought of with his power. I like powers that you can stretch really far like that. Seriously. So I like, and that was, and I think it was originally like, it was a concept I was gonna pitch to Marvel, which I never even got around to pitching. This was like seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that really needed characters with kind of offbeat powers who were kind of, who didn't have like powers that were, I can punch really hard or I can fly or I can, you know, powers yeah. that were a little bit more kind of quirky and strange. And so it just, when, when we started talking about Escapade, it, that came back to me and I was like, yeah, this is probably the time to use it.
0: Mm -hmm. It's a great fit for the the kind of character that you you articulated, for sure. And then I'd love to hear a little bit more about Morgan and uh, Hibbert as well for our our listeners.
2: Yeah, so Morgan is uh, Escapades, Sheila's best friend. Uh, Morgan does not have a fancy catchphrase or Frenchie code name (laughs) for now, at least. Maybe one day Morgan will get like a cool name. And he slash they is a trans, you know, non-binary jewish chinese um asexual person who is sort of a very consummate nerd like loves mm-hmm. tech loves science loves to geek out about anything like in one issue of new mutants morgan gets super excited to geek out about philosophy with with sheila and is like oh now we're going to talk about deontology oh let's uh, that's great <laughs> i love geeking out about deontology oh yeah consequentialism um You know, Morgan just loves to geek out about stuff. And I find that really infectious about them. And like, um, part of like, when we were first designing, like, God, so much of like, what's great about these characters did not come from me. Like the Mm -hmm. name Escapade came from Anita Okoye. Who's you know who works with sarah at marvel who is an incredible editor and just assistant editor and visionary you know i've worked with anita before at other places and i'm just so happy to be working with her again um she's just brilliant and she came up with the name escapade but also the costumes i feel like my ideas for their costumes were terrible um especially my one my one thing with morgan was i I do not want ever to see Morgan wearing a T-shirt. I was like, Um, Morgan cannot wear a T-shirt. He does not own T-shirts. They do not know what a T-shirt is because (laughs) like, that character always has a T-shirt, the kind of nerdy best friend character. And so it was actually Rowan and and Ted who worked with us on the pride issue, who designed the costumes, who were like, what if, you know, I think it was Ted, who was like, what if Morgan was a fancy boy? And um, that's my terrible (laughs) British accent. And like just basically this idea that Morgan is just incredibly dapper and always wears these amazing outfits with like little bow ties and Argyle sweater vests or like little suits and like fancy, just beautiful socks. And it's just like, you know, kind of, you could picture Morgan like, you know, Morgan holds delightful tea parties in fact has a little impromptu tea party in the first issue of New Mutants, Lethal Legion. And that kind of unlocked a lot of their character for me. It was just like, oh yes. Okay. That's now I, now I really get who this character is and, you know, and I think Morgan really also enjoys the kind of pranky trickster stuff that Sheila does, but Sheila wants to take it further than Morgan Mm -hmm. does. And Sheila kind of doesn't know when to stop um, sometimes. And you know they've they've been for, there for each other since they were little kids. We have these like wonderful like newspaper strip things that uh, Ted and Rowe did um, in the Pride issue and then also in three issues of new mutants, which were kind of their childhood of dealing with being transmutants in school and how hard that was and how they kind of supported each other and then they have this turtle named Hibbert who you know is a flying turtle with nice big fluffy wings <laughs> who is you know. Hibbert is friends with both of them, but the way it's kind of shaken out is that Hibbert really hangs out with Morgan a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like Hibbert kind of reflects Morgan's emotions. Like if Hibbert, sorry, if Morgan is pissed, Hibbert will look really pissed. Right. And if Morgan is happy, Hibbert will be flopping around like, yay everything's great. <laughs>
0: Hibbert's an <laughs> empath. Um, yeah.
2: Hibbert is, Hibbert is kind of Morgan's emotional support flying turtle. Love it. A little bit. And, uh, you know, I don't know if we made it. I don't know if we put it on, made it canon on the page. But basically, you know, Sheila and Morgan, they do robberies, they do heists, and one of the things that they've done is sometimes they'll break into labs that are doing unethical experiments, and they'll, mm-hmm. you know, free whatever creatures are being experimented on. They'll get them to a safe place. They'll get them to a, like a refuge or a habit, a habitat, um, and uh, or they'll steal awesome tech from you know mad scientist lairs. And so uh at some point they were doing a heist on some evil science facility and that's where they found Herbert.
0: yeah, no, I mean we we actually had a question which we already kind of hit on around the peanut-esque comic strips. Oh my um, god. So amazing, really good ads to obviously uh one shot as well as new mutants. Um, you know what were there any more like details on the homage that you could share you know what led to it what was going through your mind why was that so an important really uh portion it? why was that art style i guess so important
2: yeah so i've been on a huge steep learning curve with comics like just you know almost vertical and i i like that as a writer because it makes me kind of keeps me on my toes and keeps me kind of trying to try new things and being creative and keeps me from like, just being like, ah, I know what I'm doing. Or, you know, I've done this a hundred times before you do the thing. And then you, whatever, uh, I like, I like being forced to kind of think of new. And so, you know, with those comics, I really wanted to use the comics format in a creative way Mm -hmm. and, you know, I ran into a problem, which is always going to be a problem with comics where you have, they give you 20 pages. You have a lot of story you want to tell, and there's just so much to cram into a short space. And in the case of like that, the pride, it started with the pride one shot with the pride yep. issue. And it was basically like, okay, I had written these long, long, wonderful scenes with Sheila and Morgan as like flashbacks to their childhood and right. flashbacks to stuff like Sheila coming out to her parents first as a mutant and then as trans and how those two different coming out experiences went. I You could have had an entire 20 page issue of just flashbacks and, and backstory, but I had a whole bunch of Fred story I wanted to do as well. And I was like, how the heck do I tell all of this really complicated backstory about Morgan and Sheila without just taking up so much space? Mm-hmm. And I racked my brains and basically what I came up with was you can cover so much grounded three issues, three, three, three panels, sorry, right. in three panels of like a little newspaper strip, you can just cover like a ridiculous amount of ground there uh, because it's so simple that you can just pack a lot in Yeah, and you don't have to really, you know, and you, it's stylized. So you can kind of skate over a lot of the detail and people will get it. And it's really like emotional and intense. And so that was basically desperation. It was like, it was just a way to kind of pack stuff in and um because ted and row are freaking geniuses it ended up being just beautiful and amazing and i was so happy when like i asked sarah if we could possibly keep doing those in those three issues of new mutants and yeah sarah came back and said yeah we can do like a couple per issue and so i was like thank you because it's just so beautiful
1: they're so smart and i love the economy of storytelling in comics i've been reading comics pretty much my whole life and my favorite one of my favorite things is the first issue from all-star superman number one by grant morrison and frank whiteley where grant you know does the origin of superman oh yeah on one page and it's oh my god yeah Yeah. oh my god
2: it's it's fantastic
1: it's It's so so smart
2: i i love stuff like that and like You know, and I'm always trying to find ways to use... I don't know if this episode is coming out before or after issue two of New Mutants, Lethal Mm -hmm. Legion.
1: I think we're going to call it right when it comes out.
2: Okay, well, I'm just going to give a very minor spoiler (laughs) uh, for issue two of New Mutants, Lethal Legion, because there's another thing I came up with there where I was like, how the heck do I cover all this ground in the space I have? And like, I've got a thing where Sheila is distracting Count Nefaria. And meanwhile, Martha Sarah Bella is sneaking into Count nefarious house and kind of going kind of climbing down an elevator shaft. And I was like, what if we have like a tiny go- Martha going down the middle of the page is in between the panels and actually ended up being a little bigger than I pictured it, but just like have like a little Martha climbing down the middle of the page so while cute. everything it's else so is going fun. on and like just finding ways to kind of use the comics format I love that. Yeah. to like tell story that save a lot of space, but also hopefully kind of make juxtapose things in a fun, it's that's safe. stuff that I live for. And I just, I love doing stuff like that and there's stuff like that also in issues three and four four of New Mutants, Lethal Legion, where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do something kind of fancy in order to try to cram as much stuff as I can Great. into this comic book.
1: That's awesome. Um, so since we're talk- you're talking about New Mutants, we're going to get into some of this. Um, throughout its various iterations, New Mutants has always had queer elements. So I've been reading New Mutants almost since it came out. I'm that old. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you've got Swan's bisexuality, Doug and Warlock's ongoing relationship, which is very queer coded, uh, reigns battle with religious doctrine which is something you know a lot of queer folks you know have to deal with when they're coming out or even before they come out but it's always been written or predominantly been written by cishet creators specifically men Chris Claremont you know Fabian Nicieza Rob Layfield uh you know others and even when New mutants launched you know during the co era, it was Jonathan Hickman and Ed Brisson but then Vita Ayala took it took it over and then you took the baton from from Vita. um can you talk a little bit about you know, how your experience, your voice really uh, added to what's always been, in my, my perspective, our perspective rather, uh, a queer-coded book.
2: Yeah, I mean, so first of all, I just have to like, say that taking this book over from Vita was a huge honor and I thought, I felt a huge responsibility. Like, you know, I felt like Vita had really transformed the book in so many ways and had kind of revolutionized uh the way i thought about these characters and had just done some incredible stories and i had a lot of anxiety about following that because you know they had just they had crushed it mm-hmm. and they had crushed it with like so much attention to detail and so much like awareness of the history of these characters and so much like thoughtful storytelling um about things like restorative justice and about you know how to carry forward the thing of like nurturing the young the youth mm-hmm you know into like the next generation it was so like their run is like one for the ages and you know i've said to them many times like i'm i thank you like for letting me play in your house kind of hmm. um and you know they were also vita was so incredibly uh helpful and supportive when i started writing it and you know, was just such a, was such an amazing resource and, you know, was so generous with their time about answering my questions and a bunch of the other X-Men writers have been as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I felt like I definitely, because I came in after Vita, I definitely thought of it as like trying to like build on what Vita had been doing, but also kind of make it obviously my own thing because nobody, you know, nobody wants to read me doing like Vita karaoke anymore. <laughs> oh, right. I don't want to read you know, Vita doing Hickman karaoke or, you know, Jonathan Hickman karaoke or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I felt like, um, I'm just gonna confess that I had read a lot of New Mutants before, but I was also really catching up on and educating myself on New Mutants as I was starting to write this. And so I was going back and reading all of the the classic run and like some of the other, you know, runs from like the, and I read all of, um, marjorie Liu's astonishing x-men because Mm -hmm, to understand the character of karma that was like really essential reading and yeah the queerness was always there and the characters always had like i mean they're a chosen family Mm -hmm. even more than the main x-men team and they are you know they they're they have this like really powerful bond um which you know kind of reminds me of like a lot of the queer communities I've belonged to
0: mm-hmm.
2: and and then you have characters like Swan who are who is canonically, you know, Karma who is canonically bisexual, uh queer and uh you have other characters who have kind of who have like a bond that feels very heteroromantic like you mentioned Doug and Warlock, a lot of people talk about Danny and Rain mm-hmm. um yeah. you know and yes, yeah, so I felt like it was it was a comic that had already kind of been one of the more queer X-Men comics when I came in. And, you know, my first, like my first arc, that arc of new mutants I did, uh, ended up just being like, it was because of, because of the storyline we ended up with uh, it ended up being basically Wolfsbane and a group of trans kids mm-hmm. and, and Sarah Bella mm-hmm. who, you know, is now, I'm just gonna say cerebella is also chronically queer at this point, yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh you know, so this group of queer kids and and wolf kind of trapped by the u and and Vita had asked me to use Leonora Eng, who is a trans mutant character who I love and who yeah. I mm-hmm. would love to write again. I wasn't able to fit Leo into um the 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 lethal lethal legion miniseries apart from like a brief cameo just because. Um, there was so much else going on and so many characters I had to kind of take care of, but, um, so, you know, I felt like right from the get-go, I was writing a story about queer and trans kids, um, kind of having to, kind of, kind of having to be there for each other in a really tough situation. Yeah. And so that, and that felt like a very New Mutants thing to me.
0: Oh, it really shows up, too, in the book. I think that was what was the dynamics of that team within that three-issue run um, was great. And I, you know, I know there's always so much room for people, but I'm like, oh, no, I want to see them. I want to see them all come back, essentially. So. <laughs> well, the good news is Lethal Legion is back. I know. So... Well, I just mean, like, we're not yeah. getting that. That team was very cool. I just yeah. feel like I know, we're, like, we've got a, uh, an evolving team, too. But I'm like, oh, I really like that little group. It was very, well, very amazing. Since you mentioned
1: Cerebella, uh, I, I do have a question about her, you know, know she's now thank you for confirming she's canonically queer I mean
2: I'm um, hope I'm not gonna get in trouble <laughs> No, I I mean, you're, you're, you're letting let out all the anything.
1: scoops right now I know I know, I know. This, this, is exactly is what what this is a very spoiler filled interview oh gosh
2: oh gosh I don't know no, I mean know. It's,
1: great. it's great though but like she's you know you've written her as both a close friend and a potential romantic interest for Sheila uh and we were struck by her journal entry in New Mutants issue 32 where you know, she talks about the frustration of not, not not having the body she really wanted, being stuck in the fishbowl, having the hurtful name No Girl being assigned to her as her code name, which is terrible. Um, well, we can, you know, we're, Adam and I are both gay, but we're both, you know, cisgender gay men. Uh, we can infer the intended subtext, but we'd love to hear directly from you about your intentions, uh, you know, with the, with the character.
2: Yeah, I mean, I this is part of why I was so excited to get to to tell some stories about Sarah Bella, because she feels very much like uh, a kind of an analogy to the trans experience to me, mm-hmm. like she feels. Um, and, you know, it's so funny because there was a time when I really felt like putting characters who are metaphorically trans next to characters who are trans might confuse things or might be like a problem. And then I kind of got over that and realized, no, actually that's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting when there's a character who kind of, who has an experience that has a lot in common with the trans experience, but is not actually trans um, and putting them in a, in a situation with a trans character. And so I sort of, you know, originally I sort of thought, you know, Sheila and Sara at least would have an interesting friendship because mm-hmm. of that. And then, you know, they started to seem like they had chemistry to me, and we'll see where that goes. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's so funny. Like, I just read this novel, World Running Down by Al Hess, which I highly recommend. I just reviewed it in the Washington Post, mm. and it's about a trans guy who gets into a, a romance. This is not really a spoiler with an artificial intelligence, which until recently, the artificial intelligence was kind of just a disembodied mind controlling part of a city. Mm -hmm. And then partly as a response to something that the AI did that pissed people off and partly as kind of, it's complicated, but for various reasons, the AI was kind of non-consensually put into a a physical Android body. And so is dealing with having a humanoid body for the first time ever, Mm. after being this vast consciousness controlling part of a city and it doesn't know how to deal with it. And basically it's about this trans guy and this android, both of whom have different reasons for being uncomfortable with their bodies and for feeling as though their bodies are not what they, not representing who they wanna be. And, you know, and eventually they they both kind of get to a happier place with it. That's not, hopefully that's not a spoiler either. It's, it's a very kind of sweet novel. Mm. Um, but I thought that that's a great example of this. And also in the, We're gonna talk later about the Unstoppable trilogy. The character Mm -hmm. of Tina has this thing of like, she's a human being, but she's secretly an alien. Mm -hmm. She's got this all other persona inside her that's like this alien superhero. She's also gotten kind of metaphorically trans and she gets into a romance with a trans girl named Elsa. And again, it feels really kind of fertile to me to actually show characters who are not trans, but have kind of issues of their own with identity and, and embodiment and put them next to a trans character and kind of see how that plays out and see how they can what they can learn from each other and what they can what they can kind of help each other to kind of work through and so that's something i really love doing actually recently um that i've kind of gotten more into um but like my novel the city in the middle of the night has a character who goes through something that people kind of regarded as a very obvious trans analogy and i don't have any kind of canonically trans characters in that novel, partly because I was like, this is going to get too confusing and muddy and weird, but also there were things in the world building that might have made it complicated, but um, mostly it was the thing about not wanting to make it confusing and weird. And now I'm like, nope, I'm going to just go for it. I'm going to do mm-hmm. that. And actually that opens up all this interesting storytelling. Um, so it's, it's been a learning curve.
0: Yeah. And I, I, really appreciate what you're, how you're describing the experience because it, it, I think it's that kind of idea of like showing that people have more in common than they may realize or intentionally, you know, and they get to see that parallel journey and parallel experience, I think is is just very cool. It's yeah. good. I love the way you put
1: it. Uh, one of the things we've really enjoyed about your new mutants run is not that, er- is that not every mutant is a Krakoan evangelist. Uh, Steve Orlando recently explored this in, a bit in Marauders with Brimstone Love, but he's clearly a villain. And by he, I mean, Steve Orlando. Uh, just kidding. We love Steve. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you don't have to laugh at that. It's okay. Actually... <laughs> Steve would Steve would appreciate that joke and then he'd say something like, Fuck you, Caitlin. Uh but I
2: love Steve. He's amazing. He's he's
1: fantastic. he's fantastic. We love him. Uh but seriously, you know, even though Morgan and Sheila they call themselves super villains. you know, they're like they're like, you know, like Robin Hood type characters. They're clearly the heroes. Why is a protagonist like Morgan so skeptical of Krakoa?
2: I mean, it's a whole bunch of reasons. Um, Part of it is I just need an excuse to like get the characters back to New York because I like writing about them running around New York. Uh, Part of it is that um, it sort of creates an interesting conflict when Sheila does start going to Krakoa and does kind of start Uh drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit more. Um, Also, I mean, you know, I always like to push against whatever the status quo is. I feel like I always like, la- I'm interested in characters who push against the status quo, characters who kind of are dissenters or who, um, you know, who um, ask questions that, you know, are maybe uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I do actually, there's a part of me that really believes what Morgan says at issue one of New Mutants Lethal Legion about like nationalism is is a disease. I think that mm-hmm. we are currently, you know, in the real world, not to get too heavy we are dealing with a lot of toxic nationalism and a lot of Absolutely. like, you know, we are, we are faced with global problems, but we are obsessed with like, you borders. know, individual borders. nations and borders yeah. and, and benefiting one nation rather than benefiting, you know, it's blah, 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 all that stuff. And so, you know, on the one hand, you know, and I think that it's also just interesting to get like, to get that perspective with uh, you know having Morgan argue with with Wolfsbane, with with Rain Sinclair about Krakoa, it kind of creates an interesting frisson between them. And, you know, they're they're two characters who are building a really fun friendship that I'm really enjoying writing because they clearly like really respect and appreciate and admire each other. And they like, they have these fun debates and like Wolfsbane sees something of herself in in Morgan and wants to kind of mentor him um in the best way that she can, um, by being kind of a big sister, I guess. Mm -hmm. And um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like it's interesting to debate it. And I feel like I have read some really I've read, you know, Steve stuff does this. I feel like some of the other Krakoa era X-Men books. I've seen some interesting debates about Krakoa. Mm -hmm. Um and you know, I feel like it's just it's really kind of I don't know. I feel like it's 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 fun to kind of poke at it and to Mm -hmm. kind of question it and -hmm. I feel like what i've come to really realize is that that is kind of in some ways, the point of the Krakoa era is to for people to like really ask is this is this gonna. Is this workable is this a good idea, is this what we should be doing, Um, I mean you know mutants and humans can interbreed so they're not actually separate species.
0: Okay. I think they <laughs> yeah, never really I was like, oh
2: yeah,
1: yeah, you're right. That's very true. <laughs> but yeah, but clearly there's cracks in Krakoa. I mean, the stuff that Beast is doing in X Force and Wolverine. That oh my that
2: God! Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, like he's, uh, he's yeah. He's straight up. Like I almost want them to bring Magneto back so he can see what Beast has been up to and be like, dude, this is what you know. Yeah. Why? Like get- I think Magneto would lose his shit.
1: Yeah, he's like, you think I'm a bad guy? Look at him apocalypse but I'm also sure.
2: magneto i don't know if magneto still was in the holocaust or if that's now been retconned but
1: he still was so i think it's very much part of his origin but what the oh, okay. iron in his
0: blood is really being drawn out for year after year after year of extending Okay, good. Yeah. I, I mean you like,
2: know for a holocaust survivor to see like what beast is doing in that weird black site prison he had i mean wild.
0: yeah mm, no yeah. it's a good- It is. Yeah. It's what I've appreciated so much about the Krakow era is that obviously even within a utopia, particularly for one community, it's still built within the realities of all the, like we were saying, the shit of like not solving global problems, not focusing on a much larger collective. And so they have to end up playing the same game that every, or they don't have to, but they end up doing that um, anyway. Uh, But switching from, uh, you know, anti-hero maybe even potential villains we'd really like to talk about the actual villains within new mutants um so within the three issue arc for new mutants you had john sublime and the U-Men as antagonists for lead the legion we're starting uh with count nefaria almost as the big bad you know what drew them to make uh what drew you to make them villains in your your stories
2: you know i mean that was a lot of like going back and forth with sarah and anita and kind of you know um it, i think in in both cases Um, they were offered to me. Like I don't I don't always know what villains are available and what and I think in the case of John Sublime and the Human, it was really Sarah who was like, Hey, you know, we we, you know, be cool if you had a really major villain in this three-issue arc. What about John Sublime? And you know, I read all the Grant Morrison new X-Men issues Mm -hmm. like way back. Like I have like the giant hardcover omnibus editions of them, whatever those are called. Yeah, and uh that I got at like the second bookstore. Um, when they were still pretty new. And so I remember John Sublime, but I had forgotten a lot about him. I went back and reread all those issues. Yeah. And I was like, sure, he sounds, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and then, um, you know, like basically Sarah offered me John Sublime and I was like, here's a villain, would you like to use him? And I was like, great. And then I didn't even realize until I went back and did the reading how how interesting it would be to put him and Martha back together again And how, you know, this was her first time seeing him since she escaped, basically. And her first time encountering him definitely since she got herself a body again. And so that felt like there was so much to mine there. There was so much just amazing material to get out of that. And um so I was really excited to to kind of delve into that. And uh and the you men are just endlessly fun because they're, you know, they're just yeah they're they're so like grant morrison was was really thinking about issues that we're still discussing today about Mm -hmm. i don't know about the appropriation of trans identity by you know kind of extropian groups and stuff and like transhumanists trying to appropriate trans terminology and and Mm -hmm. stuff that's really thorny and interesting and weird Mm -hmm. um grant grant was dealing with that back in 2001 or whenever and um I, f- I find the human endlessly fascinating and would just love to write them some more. Um, so that was, that was the thing that Sarah offered to me. And I, that ended up just being the greatest present. Like, I feel like, you know, when people say comics is a collaborative medium, it really freaking is. And it really yeah. is. There's a lot of like, you know, a lot of the best ideas come from people other than the person who's listed as the writer. And like sometimes the artist comes up with some really co- cool stuff that you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to do something with that. And like, you know, I feel like, there's so many people involved who come up with amazing ideas. And, you know, when I was coming up in, when I was first reading comics, I feel like the culture that I was brought into was like, the writers are like, you know, Ooh, you know, Grant Morrison. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, but also there's all these other amazing people. Anyway, Everyone around End It takes a freaking village. But uh, so, and then in the case of the mutants, lethal Legion, it was really a thing where like, I went into it being like, okay, for the story, I'm kind of wanting to, I was still figuring out the details, but for the story I wanted to tell, I wanted to have a villain who you thought was kind of a joke at first, mm-hmm. who you thought was just kind of a pushover, kind of a joke, kind of a has-been, kind of like, you know, almost a stilt man character, almost a, you know, <laughs> um, or like a whatever, just- okay, man. Not a, <laughs> yeah, bat just kind leaper. of a, yeah, bat, a bat rock the leaper kind of character. And I was like, I want a character who you think, oh, this guy's a joke. And then you start tangling with him and you realize, oh, actually, no, he is not. He is he is the opposite of a joke. He is horrifying and terrifying and and you know a, a force to be reckoned with. And and we we kind of batted back and forth a bunch of different possibilities. And one of the possibilities that that Sarah brought up was Count Nefaria. And I was like, Yeah, him. Like he's got <laughs> he's got he's got a kind of a silly name, he's got like a ridiculous costume, he looks like kind of a joke villain. Right. and he's had this the more i looked into it my i was like he's had a decade of humiliation he's just been humiliated <laughs> over and over again like he's been the punching bag of the marvel universe at this point like everybody's taken him down and he's just and not just like heroes defeating him but other villains and like he's been depowered he's been de- depowered multiple times he's been he's been kicked around he's kind of a he is almost a joke character at this point mm-hmm. But if you read anything, if you read his back issues or whatever, he is, he's a terrifying, terrifying character. And so, like, getting to do that, getting to take this guy and be like, oh, yeah, he's, oh, this guy, he's, a oh, wait, he's not a pushover. That was, like, something that I was really excited by. And so he was just perfect. And then the Lethal Legion just kind of offers you a chance to do, like, lots of, like, fun bits with, like, C and D list supervillains, which I love. Mm.
0: Well, so yeah, with it does seem like on the first cover uh, for New Mutants: the Legion that there are not just C-list and D-list, but even you know A's and B's of Shadow King and the Demon Bear. Without getting into spoilers, or you know, if you'd like to give us them, that'd be great. But what would you, you know, is that like a trailer for the upcoming series? Like, what what should we infer from uh, from that that cover image?
2: I feel like that cover image was Marvel's way of saying. Remember how the new mutants had all these great stories before with these villains. <laughs> uh, this is the same title. Uh, like, I, I feel like that was the the message of that cover. Like, so, honestly, I, I feel like yeah. I love that cover. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's like one of those 1960s covers where they're like, this scene does not appear in the issue. Yeah. That kind of yeah, thing.
0: yeah.
2: And, you know, I mean, if the shadow King and the demon bear did kind of, I don't know if they could even team up, but uh <laughs> like, that would be that'd be I would read the heck out of that story. I don't know if I'd be able to write that story because I'd have to really think about it. But uh mm, but be. no, the Shadow the Shadow King and the Demon Bear are and, and the U Men have like a cameo, obviously. Right. They show up yeah. at the sort of issue one. But unfortunately, we're not gonna see the Shadow King or the And actually Vita left the Shadow King in such an interesting place. I, say, yeah. I feel like I feel like that would be a story that would require a lot of thoughts and a lot of sensitivity. I wouldn't want to just be like, la ha, ha, you know. <laughs> uh,
1: Here's Farouk back. Right.
2: We wouldn't want to just retcon Vita's amazing story. You'd have to find a new way to, to move forward with that character. Mm-hmm. So I actually don't know, but uh, yeah. but yeah, no, they're they're not in. Sorry, they're not in It
1: <laughs> makes sense. I got I definitely got excited for Demon Bear, like, especially with the popularity of Cocaine Bear in the theaters. I was like, oh my god, can like, do something with Demon Bear, you know? But. Uh, so, so could be like
2: of a crossover demon bear versus cocaine you cocaine know like, oh, right, right.
1: it's minting money right there come on marvel uh, so we did get a couple of fan questions because we posted on twitter and instagram uh one of whom came from uh, john was well it really should have come from me because he wants to know which mutant who's never sported an undercut would rock one best and i can ask that because i have an undercut so um, <laughs> oh
2: man I mean, God, so many, like, I think Madrox would look great with an undercut. I'm looking at the Mm -hmm. picture of Madrox behind you and thinking, God, that guy, he could actually, um, I haven't, I'm not sure what's going on with Quentin Quire right now. I'm embarrassed to say, but I feel like that dude has always had interesting hair. Yeah. But I think he could rock an undercut. I think he would actually, who who do you think?
1: Uh, I definitely agree with you about Madrox. I love Madrox and actually a few years ago. Was uh, it Madrox? Yeah. Uh, it's not
2: pronounced Madrox. I've been pronouncing it wrong for
1: years. I might be pronouncing it wrong. This is this is why this is why we asked if we're pronouncing it. She- I
0: wish tiebreaker, but I don't know which one I would. She-
1: <laughs> I know. I, I realize I've been mispronouncing certain like characters wrong for a long time, and I could be doing it. Could be Madrox. Right? Wait,
0: double check. You say Madrox, yeah. and you say Madrox, Charlie Jane. I would. I'm gonna go with Madrox. Madrox. I so bet I there's know. like.
2: Yeah. There's got to be a way to settle this. There's got to be a thing where like one of the... Where Claremont or somebody else pronounces the name of the character in like a YouTube video or something.
0: There you go. That's we're tip. gonna start just doing polls to say we know how it's supposed to be pronounced, but how do you pronounce it when you read it and so, <laughs> see where we go what, from there. What's funny <laughs>
1: is um, a member of our podcast, Clark, who loves Madrox, will use your pronunciation, <laughs> called him Madro, so thinking the X was silent, and I was like, "Where the hell did you get that from, baby?" Like. <laughs> what? So oh uh, I love, I, I think, I think Scott Summers could rock an undercut, but I'm, I'm a Scott yeah. Stan. Uh, I am. I think Colossus could, I think Bobby could. I was going to say
0: Bobby's probably, especially like him really coming into his uh, queer identity. Fairness. Yeah. yeah. It's like any, definitely any of the the queer heroes could easily rock it, um, no matter what. Yeah. I did want to, so I think you already kind of answered this when you were giving us the, the debrief on Morgan Hibbert and, uh, Sheila, but we did have Sarah from Twitter. Uh, she's a huge fan of Morgan. She wanted to know how Morgan got his turtle. I think we kind of identified, it was like from a research facility, but any additional kind of like, is that gonna is that gonna come up in the story? Like we'd just love to kind of give Sarah a little bit more an answer um, on her our specific question.
2: Man, I mean, maybe one day, I don't know. Um, I. It's so funny, I thought I had actually put that on the page, but I guess it got cut. Like the origin of Hibbert. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely love Hibbert. Like, I will say that Hibbert has some wonderful, wonderful stuff coming up in Numir's Lethal Legion. Like, he's just a, a character who's endlessly fun to like put into wacky situations. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, there's there's a there's a there's a thing involving Hibbert in issue five of Lethal Legion that I'm probably gonna go to jail for because it's criminally <laughs> funny it's just like it's i saw the artwork and i'm like oh my god are, I'm we, like to, are we allowed to do this
1: yeah. i'm imagining hubert and jonathan the wolverine having a team up and you know you have you have oh. Avengers, you know have, like pet x-men or pet mutants or whatever i think that would be a lot of fun to do that's, that's they like do
2: like each other they do they do hit yeah. it off. they do hit yeah, they it off. Like they'd be friends.
1: well
0: it's just always
2: they,
1: best
0: practice to like have that like special animal character. I know like Avatar is one of my favorite shows, and even more like The Dragon Prince. Like, any, you know, when you get those like really fun animal characters, you're like, oh, yes. this series is golden for that. Yep. Love it. So, one last question
1: about New Mutants before uh, we move on. Uh, you know, like a lot of X fans, we were excited by the promo image for Fall of X and the books that were announced, but we didn't see a New Mutants title. We really hope that we're going to be able to see the continuing. Adventures of Sheila and Morgan, not to mention Sarah Bella and Wolves and the others that you've been writing. So can you comment on that or is that too much of a spoiler?
2: All I can say is that if you want to see more of these characters, definitely get everybody you know to buy New Mutants Lethal Legion um, because of the way it works in comics, I guess if you buy the, the individual issues that seems to like count for a lot, so, you know, and you can guide them digitally as well as, you know, go to your local wonderful comic book store. Um, you know, I think that you have to kind of vote with your wallet. If you want to see more of the characters, uh, and more of me writing them, you have to support them as much as you can.
1: Well, I work in politics, so I'll be your campaign manager for this campaign. So (laughs)
2: nice.
0: Uh, I love it. Let's uh, switch over a little bit to the comic industry as a whole. So giving you a crystal ball, we always like to ask our guests, you know, what do you think oh. is going to happen in the industry over the next few years? And then what kind of role do you see yourself uh, playing in it?
2: Oh, man, those are those are both really tough questions that I don't have good answers to. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: I'm still pretty new to comics as a writer. I'm, I've been in comics. I've been reading comics for like, you know, I don't know, for... Twenty twenty five 25 years, but, um, man, I mean, I feel like. You could always um, say like in the
0: next, in the next year, in the next like 12 months, what do you want to Oh,
2: wow. <laughs> I mean, for me personally, I'd love to keep, you know, doing some more, some more stuff for Marvel. I'd love to do some creator owned projects. I'm kind of noodling on some ideas right now for creator owned stuff. Um, I mean, You know, when I talk to my friends at Comics Experience, like I luckily live like pretty close to one of the best comic book stores in the country, Comics Experience, Mm -hmm. where Brian Hibbs works and where there's an amazing staff in general. Mm -hmm. And I just listen to what they tell me because they understand the comics industry on a level that's like a huge order Mm -hmm. of magnitude higher than I do. And you know, what I hear from them is that uh, the, the growth area the future of comics is actually like kids comics young adult comics like you know uh they have a they they've been kind of boosting i think their their kids and young adult section a lot because they're just doing really well with that Hmm. and it's this whole other market and i think that's going to continue to grow and i'd love to do some stuff with that because i've already been doing young adult novels and i think it's really you know i think there's some wonderful storytelling to be done with Comics for young, younger people and for teens, um you know. I know that some folks are moving more towards just like direct to graphic novel things
0: mm-hmm. and
2: skipping these single issues, and I can completely see the logic behind that. Um, I I feel like again, I'm just going to quote Brian at Comics Experience because he's the oracle to me, <laughs> and I hope Brian isn't going to mind. Like if he hears this, he's not going to mind me just like stealing all of his thoughts, but uh, Brian was like, yeah, our store is now like 80% or 75% trade paperbacks and graphic novels. And like, I feel like they're kind of moving away from like pushing the single issues as much, which right. I realized I am saying that right after being like, please buy the single <laughs>
0: issue. Go for it. Hopefully you, know, you I, on I, shelves.
2: You know, I'm like, I'm like freaking Walt Whitman. I contain multitudes. I don't know what to say. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think in general, you know, that is that is a thing that uh Brian I like, uh, you should just have Brian on your podcast because he would no, have a lot yeah, of, we might have he would have a lot to say about the future of comics and yeah my future in comics I just want to keep stretching myself and doing stuff that scares me and that excites me and that feels like new territory and uh you know like I said hopefully some creator owned projects projects mm-hmm. soon yeah.
1: Well, uh, let's switch gears again to your podcast, Our Opinions Are co- uh, Correct, that you Yay. co-hosted <laughs> with Annalee Newitz. Uh, what led to this collaboration between the two of you?
2: Yeah, so Annalee and I uh, used to do a website together called io9.com back mm-hmm. in the day, oh, yeah. which Annalee was the founder. I was like their yeah. kind of second in command for most of the time. and. Um, that was, God, that was such an amazing trip. It was like one of those things where it was like, oh, we're gonna maybe do this for a year. And then it ended up being like eight years or eight and a half years in my case. Um, it was, it, was just, it kind of took over my life, but it was like this place where we got to geek out about science fiction and fantasy and what they mean and like what we love and what we criticize and, and what we love and criticize, which are often the same thing. And um, you know, when that went away, we kept talking about like trying to keep that same kind of vibe going Mm -hmm. and in the end like doing a podcast felt like a great way for the two of us to still kind of geek out about science fiction and fantasy and like the meaning of it while we were both pursuing our own projects and um it's been such a fun trip and like before we were talking before the we started recording we talked about we did an episode about ann rice where Anna right. Lee was just regaling me with all these details about ann rice's books and i was like you are making this stuff up this cannot be real <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's been it's been a blast and we've gotten to have some really amazing guests on the podcast um and yeah it's just i feel like right now so much about science fiction and fantasy is so important to our culture and our politics and our world and so like right now we're doing some episodes about science fiction in silicon valley and kind of talking about how mm-hmm. tropes from science fiction like for example tony stark like every you know every silicon valley entrepreneur wants to be tony stark mm-hmm. um and so i was able to talk to christopher cantwell who had uh been the showrunner of the the amazing show, hot and catch fire. And also had written Mm, 25, 25 issues of the Iron Man comic. I was talking to him about like, he's someone who's uniquely qualified to talk to you about the tech industry and about Iron Man and about like, how, you know, how are we seeing Tony Stark now and how has he changed in the 21st century? And you know, who is Tony Stark and should tech entrepreneurs really want to be this guy and stuff?
1: Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that because uh, I made a joke, I think on podcast or on Twitter about how, you know, Elon Musk is really, who was also an Iron Man too, by the way, he made a cameo there, but he- Don't remind uh, us. uh, uh, (laughs) Terrible movie and a terrible cameo. Uh, But that he, you know, has turned into an X-Men villain with all the changes he's doing to Twitter and just the way he's like trying to change the world, not for the better. I just didn't realize he was going to become Mojo as the X-Men villain. Like that's, that's the funny thing to me. Uh, but I I really did love um, the Silicon Valley series. I I listened to part one. I'm excited to hear the subsequent parts, but I do want to talk about one recent episode, episode 124, I believe, How to Build a Planet. Uh, Your co-host, Annalie, makes a great point about even in dystopian fiction, which I think is super important to science fiction and fantasy tropes, uh, they like to write their queer characters having fun, getting into romantic and platonic relationships. Like, they're human beings, you know they are this is something that they want to do and provide a light to some of the darkness, so going back a little bit to new mutants, did that help inform your decision to show the beginning of the relationship between escapade and cerebella?
2: I mean, um, I mean when I started writing them, I didn't know where it was going to go first of all, like I said, I was just like oh they they have an interesting you know they have interest they 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 they'll have stuff to talk about they'll have an interesting conversation, I bet. And then they ended up just, you know, I kind of follow my gut with this stuff. But I do think in general, like, Anna Lee and I are a thousand percent on the same page about like, you know, queer joy and queer connection and queer community and queer, you know, romance and just mm-hmm. needing to see those things and needing to kind of celebrate them. And right. there is a thing where like the darker things get and the more you're kind of like trapped by the human in a cage, um, or, you know, the more you're kind of, in, you know, the more dire your circumstances yeah. are, the more op- oppressed you are, the more you need queer joy and, and positivity and connection and uh, closeness. And by the way, I want to I want to I want to mention we had an episode of Our Opinions Are Correct. It was one of our earliest episodes. And um, I wonder if we still have the raw audio of that interview, because we should go back to it. We we had a friend of ours as a guest. Hernández. Baruch Porras Hernandez, uh, mm. He is a San Francisco-based comedian, poet, cartoonist, man about town. You know, mm. brilliant storyteller. Um, and he he describes himself as a chubby gay Mexican, and he is a, an X Men super fan. And he basically it was an episode about immigration and talking about oh. immigration and metaphors for immigrants in in science fiction. And fantasy and he ended up just talking about the x-men he talks a little bit about the justice league as well um so that's an episode that's worth looking back to i think we had to cut some of what he said about the x-men because it would have just been like an hour of baruch talking about the (laughs) x-men in retrospect i'm like i wish if we still had that audio we should post it somewhere because everything Mm -hmm. he said was fascinating but he's someone that you all should have as a guest sometime because he's hilarious and wonderful great
0: yeah
2: he's he's one of my favorite people and uh yeah, his Boruka's on fire on Twitter. Anyway, sorry. Well,
0: well yeah, no, as I said, just kind of wrapping up, talking about um, our opinions are correct, are there any sort of previews that you want to give about upcoming topics? Like what can listeners expect to kind of hear in the coming weeks from you and Annalie? Oh,
2: man, so, I don't, I'd have to check with Annalie about how many spoilers I'm allowed to get for the podcast. <laughs> we really do just keep uh, asking you
0: questions and wanting to... I know, I feel like I've
2: great. already gotten myself into so much trouble this, today. It's like... God, I can't keep my mouth shut. I, I you <laughs> know that, that truth serum y'all slipped me before. Yeah, we're uh, we're, that's why really, we do a really hangout out.
0: podcast. It really gets people. Yeah, to oh my gosh. Um, we bring, we 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 bring out the truth.
2: I bet all the other X Men writers have been way better at being like, I can't possibly comment on. Steve it.
1: will, Steve will like spill the tea after the podcast is over. Uh, that's be, all what, right, what do you want to know? Here's what I can tell you, but he's like very much on message on podcast. Uh,
2: shoot, well, I hope I don't get like hunted down. Nah, anyway, doing. um, yeah, so yeah, upcoming. I mean, we're going to keep doing the Silicon Valley versus Science Fiction series because that's been so much right. fun, and we have. We have some stuff on top for that um, we're definitely doing some stuff about Star Trek coming up which I'm really excited oh, about
1: very
0: cool you
2: know because there's so much great stuff happening with Star Trek mm-hmm. so I don't know things
0: Love stuff Now that's good um, but let's talk about something we can definitely talk about which is the unstoppable trilogy Yay! so um, definitely want to kind of as you know wrap wrap up our conversation your your creative content around this. Uh, but again, you know, for listeners that maybe love X-Men, love your writing, but just want to know where more to to hear about, see you about, can you give listeners the high concept for the Unstoppable Trilogy?
2: Um, yeah, so basically it's about a girl named Tina who looks like a normal human girl, but she was actually, she's actually an alien who was hidden on Earth as a baby. She's the clone of this alien galact- this galactic savior named Captain Argentian, who died before Tina was born, and they cloned her and managed to put all of Captain Argentian's memories into Tina so that when she's old enough, when she reaches adulthood, she can kind of, the aliens will come back and get her, and she will, they'll restore her memories of being Captain Argentian, and she can go out and save the galaxy again, uh, which it really needs saving because there's some. Kind of evil fascists out there doing some nasty stuff mm. and um basically she's, she's she's been waiting years for the aliens to come get her she's just like what are they going to get here come on i want to get out and be a, a galactic hero i don't want to be sitting on earth you know taking trigonometry or whatever right and right. so um finally they do but this is a very minor spoiler basically i'll just say things don't work out the way she expects <laughs> um regaining the mantle of of captain argentia and this galactic hero is more complicated than she was expecting and also being a hero is more complicated than she was expecting and she has to kind of grapple with things like you know uh violence and like when is violence justified and you know she she has to kill some people and then she kind of realizes that that's actually she kind of struggles with it she has a Mm -hmm. kind of a meltdown about it and it's about her kind of figuring out who she wants to be and what kind of hero she wants to be and you know whether she wants to be the hero that everybody was expecting her to be. Um, And it's about kind of living up to other people's expectations and realizing that this dream you had of who you want to be is not actually who you are or who you really want to be deep down it's just kind of this thing that people put on you um and but then her best friend comes from Earth with her and they end up bringing a bunch of other characters from Earth and she ends up having this amazing chosen family of like mostly queer kids and she's queer and um, it's very much about like her realizing that instead of trying to be like the galaxy's savior and trying to be like this galactic hero, she should be part of a family who are figuring out things together and like trying to like, you know, trying to build alliances and build community and like the, over the course of the trilogy, that gets bigger and bigger and she gets more and like, well, it gets complicated. Stuff happens yeah. to Tina as well. But uh, basically, you know, it's about it's kind of about a lot of the same themes as, as some of these superhero comics, some of these X-Men mm-hmm. comics mm-hmm. about community and what it means to belong to a community and what it means to try to be a hero and do the right thing in a world that makes it really, really hard to do the right thing.
0: Love it. Yeah. And I, I loved uh, kind of reading some summaries, reading some general like sample content, really like where you're going with it. I did uh, with the name of Tina. I did constantly think of Bob's Burgers, like Bob's daughter and just oh. kind of putting her in these scenarios. <laughs> I have not watched that water. show. <laughs> um but you know in thinking about you know like you mentioned a lot of your stories uh whether they be in comics or even uh with this unstoppable trilogy really layer in like there's elements certainly of young adult um and adventure fiction so you know what's really what draws you to that is that like your primary area, what you really like writing are there other areas like just kind of interested in your prose uh selection
2: yeah i mean i freaking love writing like big colorful adventures. I love writing kind of like wild explorations of, you know, of, of strange worlds and stuff. Like I grew up on Dr. Who and Star Wars and, mm-hmm. and comics and, and, you know, everything and, you know, Star Trek. And um I just, you know, I'd always wanted to do more of that. Like I had done a, a fair bit of it, my short fiction and, some of my novels had had some of that aspect, but part of what attracted me to doing young adult fiction for sure was that I was reading a bunch of young adult books. Like, I don't know, Marie Lu's Warcross is one that I was really like, oh my gosh, this is the kind of thing I want to do. Where it's just like, it's a really fun adventure. It's like, there's there's drama and emotion and feelings and romance and stuff, but there's also just like going through like super wacky situations and, um, you know, surviving by the skin of your teeth and all of that. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I really wanted to do more storytelling like that where I could kind of tell my own heroic stories. And when I started writing the young adult the young adult books, I, I wasn't sure I'd ever get to do like stuff in comics or anywhere else where I could, you know, be doing stuff, that stuff with the characters I grew up with. And so this mm-hmm. was my chance to kind of do that, making my own set of characters. And it was just such a joy to do that. And then, you know, I. I've always loved superhero comics. I feel like superhero comics are just, you know, they're just so, you know, it's this whole immersive world. It's this Mm -hmm. awesome soap opera. There's like just so much, there's so much you can do with superhero comics and so much like amazing stories you can tell about these characters who are just like both huge and epic and mythic and also kind of like small and personal and vulnerable and, you know, I don't know, there's just, there's a lot to, to, to mine there and a lot to kind of dig into. Well,
0: and deconstructing the format too, because I feel like, you know, comics have been around since like what the gold, the original golden ages and stuff like that, where, you know, it was like, here we go saving, you know, the dastardly villains and stuff like that. And I feel the, to your point, the maturity that we've gotten to because of how people have found it as an art form and a medium for telling story rather than, and particularly superheroes in general, um it just opens up all sorts of doors so i appreciate that um so we
1: we hope we heard this correctly but it sounds like the unstoppable trilogy is going to be a S- amazon prime series or it's been option for one is that correct
2: yeah i mean so um that's the thing where i'm not exactly sure what i'm allowed to say but I can yeah. tell you about what's been publicly announced so michael b jordan um you know who's mm-hmm. You know, obviously, amazing. incredible. <laughs> yeah, his production company, Outlier Society um, wanted to option the books. And I had such incredible conversations with the folks over there, like they, they really got the material. They were so passionate about making it happen. And it was just it was so amazing. And, um, you know, and they had a deal with Amazon, so we kind of set it up there as a TV show. And they brought on Jennifer Hutchison, who had worked on Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. Better Call Saul, Lord of the Rings, I'd done a million other amazing things, and you know everything that I've seen so far—it's just been so mind-blowing. It's just so great, and I just—I'm so excited to see where it goes.
0: Fingers crossed. Yeah, we
1: definitely want to see it on the uh, on. Can't call it a small screen anymore because my screen's pretty big. <laughs> At
0: least that's <laughs> yours is too. Medium-sized, medium-sized smaller screen, screen. Smaller screen. Smaller
1: screens, but yeah. No. I don't, I don't know. know. I think we need more good science fiction television, especially one geared towards young adults, uh, the young adult genre. So hopefully we get to see it sooner rather than later. So we're getting into our last segment, Charlie Jane. Uh, It's it's called (laughs) Mad About You, and this is all about you and stuff that you dig. So we're gonna start. Clearly you love science fiction. What's your favorite science fiction story? It could be a novel, a short story, a comic book, a movie, a TV show, anything what's my
2: wow my favorite like science fiction story of all time
1: all time or it
0: could be one of one of them, one of them. Yeah. we yeah. know people Ooh. always lock up over <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh man i mean there's so many hitchhikers guide to the galaxy you know yeah. i yeah. love i don't know um man there's been so much great stuff recently that's just been like blowing me away um you know, there were two books that I read around the same time that made me want to write science fiction, and I always mention them because there's such an interesting juxtaposition. One was *Consider Phlebas* by Ian M. Banks, which is the first books, uh, book. Mm-hmm. It's the first book of the Culture series, mm-hmm. and those Culture books just like rocked my socks off. They just, they're they're some of the most amazing. Uh, world building and storytelling I've ever come across and Ian M. Banks was a freaking genius and I'm sorry I never got to meet him. Mm-hmm. And then the other book I read around that same time was uh, geek love by Catherine M. Dunn, which is a weird literary story about a family of circus performers who dose their kids with radiation to turn them into mutants. It's actually about mutants oh, wow. and um, it gets very weird and dark and twisted and perverted. I want to say, and I should reread it. It's been it's been a few years. But those books are very different from each other, but they felt like they were both so fresh and so new. I read them in the 90s sometime, late mm-hmm. 90s, I'm going to say. Um, and I was just like, oh, my God, this is incredible. These two books could not be more different from each other, but they both feel like they're science fiction. Mm-hmm. And I want to do this. This is what mm-hmm. I want to do with my life. I can't write like either of these people. I can't do anything as amazing as either of these people, but I – want to spend the rest of my life doing something that's like that's awesome
0: <laughs> love that yeah um what about so i think you already mentioned she hulk but superhero one of your top uh superheroes or the top superhero
2: well i don't know if i'm allowed to mention dc stuff but sure when here I was, you when, are
0: Yes. Yeah. you
2: know <laughs> when i was a kid i really wanted to be wonder woman i actually wrote an essay for Tor.com about like my obsession with wonder woman um i was Wonder Woman was definitely the first superhero that I was obsessed with. And like Mm -hmm. at a really young age, I was just like, yes, I am very Wonder Woman identified. And, um, you know, we got like this, there was this hardcover of like the golden age wonder woman with like an introduction by Gloria Steinem that had come out in the Mm seventies and we got it at a yard sale for like 10 cents, like an old, 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 old copy. And that was like beat up. And I, didn't have the cover anymore. It was just like mm-hmm. you know, the 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 dust jacket was gone. It was like beat up, and I read it like a thousand times. And I just, um, I just I loved Wonder Woman as I was a kid. As a kid, and you know, I'm still super obsessed with her.
1: Mm-hmm. I I love Wonder Woman too, uh, and I I think uh, definitely as a kid I would watch the reruns of the. Um... Uh, the TV series with oh my uh, uh, Linda Carter. Thank you. And like, I think whenever she like spun around and went from Diana <laughs> Prince to being Wonder Woman, that is like every queer kid's like fantasy, like both from <laughs> like an actual, I want to do this and turn into this fabulous Amazonian, but also like, you know, revealing who you truly are. Like you've been hidden in right. this like very like, you know, like you know mousy outfit like working for the air force or wherever she worked for and then becoming this fabulous superhero you know it is very uh, I, I i love wonder woman so much um but since we're staying with comics what about like uh maybe a current comic you really dig and maybe your all-time favorite comic
2: man well i love what Alyssa wong is doing with um deadpool oh yeah it's just rocking my world um <laughs> Alyssa is like a freaking you know just a freaking genius writer. And I'm just always like, holy cow, how did they do that? Um, And man, I mean, I love, I've been keeping up with all the X-Men comics because you know I wanna stay current with what's going on with Krakoa and everything. And just across the board, they're all just crushing it. Like I'm just like, just in awe. And like everything Kieran's been doing with like, uh, Kieran Gillen's been doing with immortal x-men and the sins of sinister event that was amazing yeah um sure. you know everything like the uh, Cats in britain comic is fucking rocking my world mm-hmm. it's just such great stuff um i mean in terms of classic runs i love i mean peter david's hulk run meant a lot to me for various reasons when i was younger and i have like a giant shelf of peter david's hulk run mm-hmm. um and um you know gail simone Everything Gail Simone has ever done, I'm just obsessed with. Oh yeah, um, the her Deadpool, her Secret Six, her Birds of Prey, uh, her Red Sonya, like everything. Like she's just she's a powerhouse. She's like a freaking. She's she does like weird team ups so well.
1: I I loved her Birds of Prey. I even like I started reading her CBR column back in the day where she came up. Oh with the- man refrigerating women, which is a term that we Mm -hmm. use a lot. I know, I'm sure you do as well. Uh, But
0: like, yeah, Yeah. I love her her stuff so much. What about your musician and album?
2: Like my favorite? Yeah. I mean, it's it's gonna be Prince, I think. Ah, Like, you know, it changes over time. Like there are different artists that I listen to more or less. I'm pretty obsessed with Parliament Funkadelic and, you know, that whole kind of era of like mm. old school funk and R and B and stuff, um, but yeah, I mean Prince, Prince for the win, I think. And like my all time <laughs> favorite album, my like the the album that I just love at every corner of my being is Parade, which so is so good. So good. One of the oh, my God. it's one of the Prince albums that people kind of sleep on sometimes. Yeah, you know, even though it's during that era, like in between Purple Rain and Sign of the Times, it's kind of in the that kind of like that era of Prince's career that people I think still obsess about, but mm-hmm. parade is it for me. I think parade is just so beautiful from beginning to end. Just so much to 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 pick up on there and so joyful and so sweet and dark and sad and just like amazing.
1: Yeah. What about your favorite food?
2: I'm gonna say dumplings, pot stickers, pot stickers, oh. pot stickers. Yeah, for yeah. sure
0: anything specific in the filling or just like in general
2: just like you know just really good like I mean usually with pork in them unfortunately but yeah usually just like the, <laughs> the classic the classic dumplings the classic yeah. stickers that and I grew up
1: love, with you've got a really good Chinatown so you can get some great ones like the Chinatown in D.C. as you probably remember we'll talk about D.C. in a second is uh Oof. not much of a Chinatown it's like one block and it's like a couple oh. of stores that have like the well, like, Chinese lettering yeah like
0: 15 20 years ago I think what we were talking about like living here and stuff like it was definitely much bigger now it's uh, uh, bigger uh, it's, but not much bigger. now yeah it's no New Yorker uh, yeah. Or, like,
2: I was yeah. In, yeah I was in DC for a book event and I was like oh I'll go to Chinatown and like yeah it was it was oh yeah it was it's sad it was, right it was sad. it was not as it was definitely it was diminished yeah. it was much diminished
1: uh what's your favorite city
2: i mean i'm just gonna say san francisco it's where i live (laughs) it's where i've lived for like forever now at this point it's you know it's a place where i just feel really comfortable and happy and like even though it's changed a lot i still feel like we have a really beautiful community here
1: yeah that's great uh so uh you mentioned San Francisco, but we've talked about you living in D.C. before. While you lived here, did you have any favorite spots that you like to go to?
0: We'll let you know if they're still open. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I mean, when the last time I was in D.C., I did walk around Adams Morgan and okay. like Dupont Circle and stuff just to see. And I feel like I mean, it's changed a lot. Oh yeah. Like I used to hang. I, I mean, I used to hang out at. There was a spot in Adams Morgan called Madam's Organ.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. 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 Oh, I didn't even Which know it's was not there anymore. Yeah, that that closed <laughs> down a few years ago. I think it closed down before the pandemic.
2: Yeah, it was gone. The last time I went went by there and I was like, "Oh, man." Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I liked that spot. Um Yeah, I mean, there were there were a lot of bookstores I really liked in DC. DC has amazing bookstores. Like yeah, still Kramer DC books, still yeah. has yeah. amazing like politics and prose, Kramer books, mm-hmm. you know some freaking amazing bookstores like that's the thing i th- you know and really nice coffee shops really good ethiopian food um
0: yes, that is still in an abundance and
1: right. i live in little ethiopia basically and there's like this awesome ethiopian restaurant right adjacent to my building so
2: hell mm. yeah, so I'm
1: hell yeah. Out. i may get some actually after this interview is over uh but nice I, jealous uh, so you're about to embark on your book tour for, uh, Promises Stronger Than Darkness, the third and final book, uh, which city and town are you most looking forward to hit?
2: You know, it's a pretty small book tour this time around, just cause of pandemic stuff and just life mm-hmm. and everything. I'm going to be in Atlanta, uh, yes, yes. which I love Atlanta. Atlanta's is a wonderful town. I always love the food there. And the people are wonderful. And, uh, you know, um, I'm going to see some people I haven't seen in a very long time, which is really awesome. And also I'm going to be in L.A. I'm going to go to the L.A. Times Festival of Books and L.A. is always a blast. So I'm really excited to get out there.
0: Nice. And, so on top of, you know, beyond your book tour, do you have any plans to be at comic or science fiction conventions this year that we can catch you at, or other, we can stalk you at, and other people can see you at?
1: <laughs> you
2: know, it's all up in the air, but I do have a really fun plan coming up, which I think I'm allowed to say publicly. Um, there's a comic book store in Portland, Oregon, called uh, Books With Pictures, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. It's either Words With Pictures or Books With Pictures. It's really bad that I'm blanking on this now, <laughs> but uh, I'm going up there for free comic book day, May 6th. Oh, nice. And nice. last I heard, it's going to be me and Becky Clunan, We're going to hang oh, out. Great. It's going to be a party, we're going to just sign some comics and talk about comics and just hang out and uh i think i'm going to be there pretty much all day on free comic book day so
0: Amazing. if you're it is in books with pictures i just look the pictures <laughs> i i
2: apologize for like my brain fart um they're such wonderful folks i love them so much and yeah so i'm going to be there like if you're in or near portland if if you're in the pacific northwest and you want to come hang out on free comic book day that would be freaking delightful
1: that mm-hmm. sounds great. I'm going to book my flight right after this interview is over. Yay. Yeah. I, I
0: was uh, like sadly that is likely too far away for us and that also sadly brings us to the end of our interview. Um Charlie Jane, thank you so much for being on. Is there anything yay. else like a plug where can people find you just you know let everybody know how to to get in contact with you?
2: Yeah, I'm Charlie Jane Anders on Instagram and Tumblr and TikTok. I'm on Tumblr and Instagram a lot. Um and, um, my website is charliejane.com and I have a newsletter at buttondownemail dot email slash charliejane.
0: Oh, nice. Um, uh, well, thank you again for being on. As for us, we are on Twitter at homo superior X and on Instagram at homo superior podcast. If there are other great writers, artists, and all things nerd culture you'd like to hear us chat with, please make sure to slide into our DMS. We've been home with Superior. Thank you again, Charlie Jane. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. Yay, thanks. Bye.
2: Bye. <laughs> ah, that was super fun. That was awesome.